Hello, everyone, and welcome to Now You've Seen It, the podcast that endeavors to fill the holes in your essential movie viewing history. My name is Sean, and I'm going to be your host for today's episode. And joining me today, first off, we have Cass from the Good Idea Podcast. Hello, Cass. How are you tonight? Good. How are you? Doing well. Looking forward to talking about this wonderful movie with a great guest and seeing how everybody else thought about it. All right, and our second panelist joining us tonight is Jason from Nerds with Voices Podcast Network. How are you doing tonight, Jason? What's going on, man? I'm feeling pretty good, actually. Good. How was your uh, holiday? It was wonderful, actually. You know, eating, getting fat, having a good time. Always good stuff. All right, and then finally, we're going to introduce our guest and today joining us for their very first time watching the movie they chose. We have voiceover artist Samantha Boffin. Samantha, how are you tonight? Fine, thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, let me ask you, tell us a little bit about your work. You say you're a VO artist, and I know a little bit about your credits. So why don't you share with us some of the things that you've done? Uh, I am a VO artist. Actually, I do different things in um, in the UK than I tend to do in the States. Uh, so in the UK, I tend to do more dramas, uh, audio dramas, and um, and straight acting as well, uh, stage acting. Uh, and I do, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're far more, uh, and I do documentary voiceovers and things like that. In the States, I tend to get picked up for corporate work, a lot of corporate work and telephony work, weirdly, in the States. So nice. it, it's a mixture. <laughs> let, let me ask you this. If you had, and this, I know this is a terrible question to ask someone, but I'm going to do it anyway. If you had to just do one of those things, which would it be? A drama, I think. Audio drama. The audio drama? Yeah. Nice. All <laughs> right. Well, tonight you've brought to us uh, a pretty popular epic movie in the 1979 science fiction movie Alien. How did you not see Alien when it came out or any time in the following 40 years? Well, actually, I avoided Alien because I didn't think that it was my kind of movie. I thought that it would... Uh, yeah, I, I, I avoided it in the same way that I avoided Star Wars and all sorts of movies like that. I'm not a sci-fi fan, or at least when I like my sci-fi, I like it grounded in the here and now, in the here and now reality. So not something that is really, uh, you know, sort of science-based and out there. And so this was probably one of the movies that I, yeah, really very much avoided because it was all set in space and in a very sort of alien world. And so I just, I just assumed that it wouldn't be my kind of movie. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to find out in just a few moments that there's one of us on this podcast who is in the same boat as you and has never seen this and two others for whom this is a fairly regular movie viewing uh, necessity. So we'll get to all of that and much more right after a few words from our sponsors. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
Okay, so the movie that we're going to be covering today is Alien. Alien is a 1979 science fiction horror film directed by Ridley Scott and written by Dan O'Bannon. It's based on a story by O'Bannon and Ronald Shusset. Uh, it follows the crew of the commercial space tug Nostromo who encounter the eponymous Alien, a deadly and aggressive extraterrestrial set loose on the ship. The film stars Tom Skerritt, Sigourney Weaver, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm, and Yafit Koto. So now listen to the wonderful movie man and his trailer for Alien. On a world far out in space, the crew of a commercial towing ship investigates a strange signal. After being in hypersleep for a few months, the captain, navigator, and XO decide to take a stroll. It does not go well. Haven't they ever watched Trek? Where's their sacrificial red shirts? Anyway, after an alien facepalm, safety protocols are disregarded. And then hilarity ensues. Blood-curdling, gut-busting hilarity. Featuring that Drake guy from Cheers that Rebecca was into, the beaver's friend Lumpy's sister, Bud from Repo Men, the Elephant Man, Bilbo Baggins, Live and Let Dies Mr. Big, and Dana Zool. In space, no one can hear a podcast. Luckily, we're on Earth, right? From the director of Legend, Thelma and Louise, and Gladiator, the movie that started the franchise, Ridley Scott's Alien. Okay, so... Right off the bat, let me just ask you just the quick and dirty version of it. Uh, Samantha, what did you think of this movie? Well, it isn't my favorite movie. Uh, I, I actually struggled. I really struggled with it. And the reason I struggled with it was because I didn't identify with any of the people in it. And mm -hmm. I didn't, I, I wasn't given, I, I didn't feel that I was given much of a, a, a backstory to anybody. Uh, I didn't really care about them, so, which is going to horrify, I'm sure, people out there who love this movie. But I, I genuinely didn't, I didn't, and I still, I can honestly say, having watched it, that I didn't, I didn't really chime with any of them. I, you know, <laughs> I think that's fair. I, I have written down in my notes a lot of things that were jarring in this movie. And it was basically like the, the lack of backstory. You're thrown into these characters. When someone would die, it would be immediate. There's no mourning. There's no shock. There's no nothing at what is going on around them. Everybody is acting with so much calm, cool, and collectedness that it was hard to relate at points for me. Uh, I really did like the movie, though. And oh, I'm in the same camp as you as this is my first time viewing it. So uh, so our two panelists have seen this movie multiple times. Let's uh, ask them what they thought. Cass, what did you think of Alien this time watching it through? Uh, it's still one of my favorites. I get the thing about not connecting with any of the characters, but I don't mind it. I think of it much more as like a horror movie and we don't really get a lot of backstories there either. It's just like a really great horror movie as opposed to some really bad ones. I don't know. It's just so entertaining for me. I just really love it. Hmm. Now, see, that's interesting because I didn't really view it. The, the description says science fiction horror. I didn't really view it as much of a horror movie. Samantha, were you thinking sci-fi or horror when you watched this? I was definitely thinking sci-fi, but I think, I mean, there have been, it, it might've been one of those first movies that actually, put that horror genre with the sci-fi genre mm -hmm. um, 
although actually no it can't be because there was the thing and there's all sorts of things before that but in 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 terms of sci-fi yeah i mean i i thought it's sci-fi before horror but i can see why it's a horror movie totally oh yeah totally agree um all right so jason what did you think of the alien this time through alien is one of my favorites but it's not necessarily from a story standpoint because if you boil the movie down it's just kind of a, a slice of life kind of thing with these guys and kind of a day of their life until the alien itself shows up then it kind of becomes a really kind of slow slasher with the alien being the titular slasher slasher character um but the reason why i like it is because of two facts it's this sets up ripley as one of the most bad a characters in movie history and before the you don't have any really really super awesome female leads like mm-hmm. like she even predates Sarah Connor by five years. Right. So you get this character played wonderfully by Sigourney Weaver. And it, it is just really awesome to watch and behold, because you don't get that in these type of movies or up until this point, you didn't get them. And even today, you still struggle with that. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely see your point. I can't think of anybody that really predates the Ripley character as a strong female lead. So yeah, I, I could definitely see your point. Let's move on to talking a little bit about the movie. A couple discussion questions that we have here. Uh, Cass, this first one was from you of why do you think this, the dark cobbled together space aesthetic of the late 70s changed to the sleeker space aesthetic that we generally see now? So I'll, I'll, I'll let you answer that first. What, what are your thoughts on that? Why This movie was definitely dark. It definitely looked like a working space vessel. And it doesn't look like what we get in space movies now. So what do you think caused that shift? Movies now want to portray more advanced technology. So it has to look sleeker. It has to look nicer. Whereas this feels a little more grounded and real and gritty, which adds, I think, to the the darker tone of the movie. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, the the cleaned up modern movies, I think has to do a lot with the tech. Whereas the tech in this, it's not advanced. <laughs> you could definitely see it uh, that tech today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had that down in my notes as well. Uh, that it was things were obviously technologically advanced, but looked used and beat up like a mm-hmm. ship that actually gets used. You know, and I think that was a much more interesting character. The ship was almost a character in and of itself, as opposed to you know a lot of these much more sleek visuals that we get in space movies now um samantha did you have any thoughts on the the whole way this movie was kind of put together special effects wise and visually i think star wars came before this didn't it by by a good couple of years that's a very different aesthetic there i think Mm -hmm. so it's not as if it was so it was doing something really specific i think this this particular movie and i think if it had been sleek and um gorgeous and um and brighter and lighter it would have had a completely different feel um so i think that i i could see exactly why they built this sort of world and that the spaceship was a real world that it was far far it was it was huge um when you can think that only seven people were in it uh, it was vast and i think that 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 whole all of those all of those dark spaces get, gave did lend that horror to it and i think it would have been very different had it been sleek so i think it's a very obvious uh thing that they were doing there with it yeah and used to to very well you know very great yeah. effect. it was i i thought it was fantastic and uh, i thought the setting was beautiful 
Uh, Jason, how about you? Any thoughts on the the look of the film? I think one of the reasons why this type of sci-fi has kind of gone the way of the dodo is because the people who were into like H.R. Geiger, who did the creature design for the Xenomorph, um, as well as some other things like he did the chair in Dune and some other things, um, they're not really making movies anymore. Um, it's kind of a new class of director and creator, whereas H.R. Geiger is definitely a, a very old school type of creative where he's very reminiscent of like Lovecraft and those darker themes and, and sort of things, like especially like, I mean, with his work, He's got a huge following, like the metal community. I mean, he's even got a line of bass guitars themed that they're designed after his themes and things like that. Like, it's really cool. So I think that's why we got this kind of dark, brooding aesthetic with this movie. And then you get things like um, Passengers that's come out recently. I mean, Star Trek. Those things are far more sleek, far more smooth. And because that's a, it's a, just a different era in science fiction. All right. Uh, now, Samantha, you mentioned the small size of the cast. So I wanted to ask everybody, uh, if you go on IMDb, there are only 10 credited actors in the cast of Alien. You've got the seven humans on the ship, two different people credited as the alien and one credited as the voice of mother. What's your favorite tiny cast movie? Do you, do you have a favorite that you just have a small number of people in the cast, Samantha? I do. And it's when I was thinking about this, actually, it's really interesting uh, because this is a movie that I love. Um, it's A Quiet Place. And I don't know if anybody's seen A Quiet mm -hmm. Place, oh, yeah. but it's, it's not, not unlike <laughs> Alien in a lot of ways. It's 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 a bit of a horror. I did feel for the characters in that. And I did feel a very strong backstory and a very strong connection between all those characters. And that's why I loved it. And there was hardly any dialogue in it, not dissimilar to Alien. The The two movies had a very different effect on me. Cool. Jason, how about you? Do you have a favorite uh, tiny cast film? Actually, yeah. Um, oh, um, Ex Machina. I mentioned it earlier. Um, that movie only has maybe four to five characters in it. Oscar Isaac is one of them. Also, uh, the guy who played um, General Hux in the new Star Wars films, he is also in it. Oh, one of the Weasleys. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, it's and it's claustrophobic. Again, like Alien, it's it's in one area. You don't really leave that area, and it's so wonderful with the performances. And also, quick nod, Samantha is absolutely correct. A Quiet Place is fantastic. The fact that they use American Sign Language through most of that movie is superb. Great. For me, I know this is kind of a laughable notion now, but for me, the tiny cast film that I like the most is the Blair Witch Project. Uh, the original Blair Witch Project, when it came out, was such a unique idea. The The fact that so many people thought this was real, it, it hit it. They caught lightning in a bottle. It hit at the absolute right time when the internet was just new enough to spread information around, but was so new that people didn't really understand that they could be fed misinformation. I think for me, it was definitely the, the Blair Witch Project. It's just, it was a fun kind of catch lightning in a bottle moment for Hollywood. So uh, Cass, how about you? That's funny. I actually wrote down Blair Witch as well. Um, I wrote down a couple others, though. Um, Moon with uh, Sam Rockwell, mm -hmm. where it's just him on a spaceship pretty much going crazy. Um, and Paranormal Activity, it, there's pretty much just two people in that the whole time. Right. And uh, Time Crimes is one that I really like. It's this Spanish thriller about a guy that accidentally enters a time machine. That's a new one by me. 
I'll have to check that out. Let's talk about what we liked in the film. Samantha, I know you you sounded like you didn't have an overall great experience, but what were the parts of this that you did like? I think I liked the fact that I'd, I absolutely loved the fact there was no sexual tension between any of the characters. It's one of the only movies I've seen that doesn't have anything. There's nothing titivating at all in there, which I've found incredible, actually. Um, you know, even at the end where she gets a kit off, in effect, um, there's nothing uh, which which I found very refreshing, I have to say. Um, I like the fact that there were strong female leads in it. I was irritated um by uh lambert i have to say because i thought that was a bit of a cop-out uh um to cast a woman in that part i thought was a bit of a cop-out but this is 1979 so let's let's uh let's applaud them for for casting a, a strong female lead um what did i think i loved i actually loved the first bit where they answered the distress call they had to go down uh and and there was a lot of tension from the right from the start i would i would say there was a lot of tension um so i suppose they did tension beautifully through it i have to confess um even though i was not invested in any of the characters they did do tension brilliantly and i oh, the other thing i loved actually was the fact that as the alien progressed uh and became more parasitic and then grew i loved the fact that we we saw various stages of that alien and Apart from, apart from the very first time we saw it, it was beautifully done, I thought. All right. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I thought um, I, I had some, some of the same information down in my notes. The one thing I, I differed on, the, the sexual attention, I thought it was a little strange that they, when they were in their cryo sleep, they all had these leads on their chests that just went to nothing. And the female character, I, I wasn't sure if it was Lambert or if it was Ripley, but they had like just a small piece of tape that went across their nipples. And it just seemed like a very odd thing. The fact that she was in this tiny pair of underwear and everybody else had boxers on it just to me, it, that kind of stood out to me. But I, I find it interesting that, that you saw that as the opposite of the way that I perceived it. So. Yeah, I, 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 I did. I found it quite refreshing. Nobody was hitting on Ripley. <laughs> I mean, right. You know, there was, there was nothing like, there was nothing, you know, so. Yeah, aside from Parker making the one kind of offhanded comment uh, that was sexual in nature, there wasn't any real sexual tension going on on the ship. So, and I, I had also written down as strong of a character as Ripley was, Lambert was terribly written and was fairly useless as a character as far as I was concerned. So, Jason, what did you think? What what were the strongest points of the movie? For me, the two strongest points were one Ripley, like the intelligence of Ripley, and also to a lesser degree Parker. Um, again, I'm a huge horror movie buff, so watching a horror movie and actually seeing not only a female character but a a, a person of color voice intelligent, correct concepts for the situation they're in is refreshing like the whole time ripley's like bro like no we're not letting that thing on i don't know what that is it could put all of us in danger one person for the whole ship nah and when they even when they break the rules bring it in and parker's like why don't we just freeze them how about that like quit worrying about taking it off quit worrying about doing anything let's just let's just freeze them and then we can just go back and we can figure it out later and 
when you look at the by the end of the movie, you realize that both of those characters are correct. Like if you had to just listen to either one of them, none of this would have happened. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and then um, I think we talked before we recorded about which version of this we were gonna watch. Um, yes, I have both. Um, and one of the things that I kind of feel sad about um, that this, the theatrical version does not have is the addition, the added scene after Ash betrays. Ripley and lets them onto the ship. There's a really good scene between Dallas, Ripley, Parker, and Lambert, where where Dallas is just ripping into Ripley about not letting him on. Same thing with Lambert, and Ripley's like, even you want me to break the rules, even if it's against the law. And he goes, yes. And then Parker goes, yeah, but she kind of has a point. And it's a really good scene, and it gives a little more context to why they cast. Lambert to be the way she is because it's a it's an immediate yin and yang with her and Ripley whereas she is emotional and and she's she's just so just useless as we as we said before whereas Ripley is stoic she's thoughtful she is commanding and she's actually very very logical in her approach to all of this and it just gives you a good way to see the two opposed to one another because wait for it every man in this movie is super sexist like parker and brett in the when later when ripley goes into the part to help them fix her out the bottom and fix the ship they're like what does she come down for what can she do like there's lines like that throughout this movie in reference to ripley and Mm. so it's just really good to see that they use her to actually be a stalwart of logic and strength in this movie yeah no i could definitely see that uh point of having Lambert act as that counterpoint to Ripley. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Cass, what did you think as far as what your favorite parts were? Um, I too really love the tension. It was high immediately and they kept it up the entire time. I also really liked the intelligence of the alien as they portrayed it. Whereas a lot of like monsters or aliens previously are just uh, dumb and just out to kill. But uh, the alien... uh, stalks and hides and uh, knows to get on the escape pod at the end and hide away in a really well done way and so i really liked that you know i i think it's interesting that in a movie called alien when we're discussing the things that we liked only one of us really focused on the aliens so i think that's kind of interesting and it brings me to our next question uh jason that you had posed as a horror movie villains go, the xenomorph is unmistakable, the look of that. But as for a monster from a, cre- a creature feature like the thing, the host, gremlins, where does it fall in the pantheon of great movie creatures? And Jason, I'll let you go first uh, with that. For me, sadly, towards the bottom. I mean, you we mentioned you just mentioned it. The thing, the creature in the thing is fantastic. It's concept, the idea behind it, the fact that you don't know who actually is infected with the thing makes it utterly frightening. This movie, Alien, is based on the tension that is caused by not knowing where the alien is. But with the thing and things like the thing, the tension is just throughout. It's just the concept of it by itself generates tension because it is such an uncontrollable and kind of just unfathomable thing. Like, the, like I love it. Like that, the fact that 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 whole movie is just based around the premise of where is this thing and who is this thing, it's just 
really good. And I don't think you get any of that with the alien because again, you know that you know where it is. It's in the air ducts. You know how to find it. You know how to stop it. Like it's not something that I would fear. Like I never feared it throughout this entire entire movie. Okay. And Cass, how about you? Um, I, I put it up pretty recognizable with a lot of other uh, monsters like from the thing and the hosts and gremlins. I think even people that haven't seen Alien immediately know what a xenomorph is and what movie it's from. So in that way, it's pretty iconic. Okay. And Samantha? Oh, I, I, I didn't know what it looked like. I had absolutely no concept. Before I came to this, the only, I had seen a tiny bit of that scene, the John Hurt scene. And that's the only bit of it I'd seen. So to me, the alien was <laughs> nothing like the alien ends up being in terms of the xenomorph. I mean, I, I didn't even know I didn't even know the term xenomorph. That's how little I knew about it. So for me, the 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 alien that it eventually becomes at the end. Um, is a fairly conventional uh, type of monster alien. But it's still pretty. And um, what I loved about it was the fact that it was different every time you saw it. And actually, I didn't know where it was. I hadn't. I mean, I assumed it, you know that it could have been anywhere. And I also assumed because I've seen all those movies that it was probably on the little. You know, she'd probably locked herself in with it. But I, I, I didn't really know what what it would have looked like um, until the end. So I, I, I thought the reveal was good all the way through. But in terms of where it sits in the great sort of. Um, the pantheon of different sort of movie monsters. My consistent movie monster um, uh, knowledge is really from Doctor Who, (laughs) which I, which I adore. I love Doctor Who. And, um, and there are many, many, uh, you know, aliens like that. And there are many that are nothing like that. So um, it, it, it's kind of interesting, but um, I like its parasitic nature. So, Yeah. Yeah, I found it really interesting the way it evolved uh, from the face hugger to the thing that mm. burst out of John Hurt to the full xenomorph so quickly. That's kind of scary that it could go from egg to fully developed adult capable of, of killing you in that short of a time period. You really have no chance to study and learn what you need to do to defend yourself when the character has that short of a a growth uh, cycle. So, all right, well, we're heading up on against a commercial, but before we go to commercial, I want to ask one more question. We were talking about the tension in the movie. And for me, the highest tension in the movie came with the countdown to destruction. Uh, But that is throughout Hollywood, a huge trope. Does does anybody have a favorite countdown to destruction sequence in a movie? And Samantha, I'll start with you. Is there one that sticks out in your mind? There is, but I'm going to be such a disappointment to you all because the one that sticks in my mind is Back to the Future. So that's that. You know, in terms of countdown to destruction, uh, okay. that, that's that's the one I love. But... Hey, that's that's perfectly good answer. Um, how about you, uh, Cass? Eddie? Any favorite countdown to destruction moments? I actually really love that answer. I thought of Back to the Future as well. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. But I also thought of um, the end of Return of Living Dead, which was also written by Dan O'Banion. Um, they, there's a, um, a nuclear explosion with a countdown and uh, sequences, and uh, I thought it was really well done. Yeah. 
Okay. And uh, Jason, what about you? Favorite countdown to destruction trope? Can I go with the book? Sure. Um, I would have to say, and this is going to be spoilers, so if anybody is listening to this and hasn't read this book yet, um, it's a book by Scott Sigler um, called um, Contagious. It's the sequel to a book by called Infected. Um, and there is a nuclear strike coming in with these two characters, and they're actually trying to stop an alien. And I won't say how it revolves or anything like that, but um, he does nuke Detroit. I went with something more lighthearted. I actually put down two because I was certain someone was going to take my first answer, which is Spaceballs. Um, I love the whole countdown and uh, evacuate the circus and everybody get to the escape pods and, you know, clear the zoo. The, the whole thing, I think, is just hysterical from start to finish. And also Galaxy Quest, where they they get all the way to the self-destruct and they have no way of stopping it. And then it just stops by itself with one <laughs> second left to go because it's that's always what it did on the show. So it was built that way. Uh, so those, for me, are my favorite ones of the countdown trope. So uh, we're going to count down three, two, one, and send you to an ad, and we'll be right back. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. And welcome back to the show. Now we're going to move into a segment that we like to call Cast the Remake. In Hollywood today, every movie, every intellectual property, every TV show is ripe for a remake. So if the Oracle Media Production Studios was going to go out and we're going to produce a brand new version of Alien, uh, I've asked you for some ideas for casting the remake. Uh, we're going to start with Ripley, and we'll start with Samantha. Who did you pick to play the Ripley character, and why? Well, I would I would go with Sandra Oh, who I love, and um, she was recently here. I don't know if you get her in the states in uh, Killing Eve, mm -hmm. and she was incredible. And what I missed with Ripley first time round, loved Sigourney Reaver, but what I missed with the character was that that sort of depth um, for, for me. I um, And I think uh, Sandra Oh has got both a humour and um, and a depth to her characterizations. So I'd love to see Sandra Oh do it. Okay. Uh, and Jason, how about you? For me, I was, I was trying to go along the same lines as with Sigourney Weaver, because Sigourney Weaver is not what people would consider a classically beautiful woman. She's a striking woman. She's very, she's very attractive. And so when I was thinking of my recasting, it was along those lines. And I chose Tilda Swinton. Mm -hmm. Tilda Swinton. Yeah. I, I love Tilda Swinton. She can do no wrong in my eyes. She is such an interesting person to see on screen. Um, two movies I love her in are Suspiria and another one she did with Tom Hiddleston called Only Lovers Left Alive. Oh, I love that one. And she's just fantastic. And I think she could pull off the vulnerable but yet strong and physically commanding that Sigourney Weaver pulled off in this movie very, very well. Excellent. Uh, both very good choices. I went with an actress from uh, the Orphan Black show, uh, Tatiana Maslany. She 
to me encompasses the the qualities of Ripley that I would look for in someone playing that role. She's play is able to play strong. She's able to play smart. Uh, she's able to play creative in her problem solving. All things that she definitely displayed through her role in Orphan Black. So for me, I would have to go with Tatiana Maslany. Uh, now we're going to talk about we'll talk about Dallas, originally played by Tom Skerritt. And Jason, you had somebody for the Dallas character. Who did you pick? Anyone who listens to my podcast will know why I picked this person. And I'll just tell you, because I love this man and he can do no wrong. And I want him in everything. And that man is Idris Elba. Um, he, yeah. literally, he can literally be in anything. I don't care what it is. I don't care if he's playing the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. He can do no wrong. And I'm fine with it. I actually had considered him as well. Uh, but to me, what I went with, with Dallas as the defining characteristic was I am, I love 70s music. My other podcast for this network is going to be called The Stories Behind the Songs, and it's all music. And when I looked at Tom Skerritt rocking that Kenny Loggins beard, <laughs> the only person I could think of that could pull off a beard like that now is Mark Hamill. You know, and I know he's already Star Wars, but I think if we could get him into the Alien franchise as well, I think he would have made for a really fun Dallas. All right, moving on to Parker. Samantha, why don't you go ahead and get us started with Parker? I did a, I did a gender swap with Parker, um, and I would cast Parker as Natasha Lynn, who was in both Russian Doll and um, Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see Ripley and Parker as two women, two strong, uh, feisty women. And um, and I think she'd be fantastic in it. I think she'd be great as my, my Sandra Oh against my Sandra Oh. She'd be amazing. Yeah, that's that's an interesting power uh, duo. there. Uh, Jason, how about you for Parker? Me, it was a toss up. One is a gender swap. Um, the first one was Anonzo on a uh, not. Ananzo, Ananzi, oh God, Ananzo, <laughs> Ananzi. He uh, played Sergeant Dap in Ender's Game. He also was in um, that short-lived Dracula show as as Renfield. He also has been in Game of Thrones. He's a wonderful actor. Um, but my female choice would have been Traji P. Traji P. Um, Traji P. Henson, um, who was in Empire, and she's done. She actually did a movie with Idris Elba. And she plays really strong female leads, and I love her and stuff. So those two would be my choices for that. Cool. I went with um, Arian Bakari. Uh, if anybody's watching the HBO, His Dark Materials, he plays Lord Boreal. I, I think he can pull off. He's got the same type of bigger upper body build, I think, that, that Parker had that is a trope of the guys who work in the boiler room under the ship kind of thing. But I think he would be able to still carry that trope on. And I, I think it was a fun trope to have. Uh, I also think he can play this kind of knowledgeable person that Parker is, is is able to express his opinions about things and not back down from people. So I think he'd be really uh, be, be good in this role. Uh, so now we'll move on to the Android Ash. And Jason, why don't you get us started with Ash? David Tennant, because he plays generally nice characters, very empathetic and emotional characters. I watched him in a 
movie uh, called Good Samaritan, where he plays a serial killer and a sociopath. And I think it's a very good switch for him to play this kind of at first kind of caring kind of stick to business character and then have him turn into such an aggressive and just unempathetic villain by the end of it. I think it's just been a really good casting for him just because of who he generally is when he plays roles. All right. And uh, Samantha, who do you have for Ash? So weird because funny enough, David Tennant was somebody I thought of for that as well. But funny enough, I went with Michael Sheen and Michael Sheen played opposite David Tennant in Good Omens. And for actually not dissimilar reasons, but the reason that I plumped for Michael Sheen in the end was um, because I felt he could pull off both those parts of Ash really well. Um, and and I thought he made a, he'd make a incredible android that that was a real shocker for me when when uh, you know when, when watching it for the first time um and i had no clue that that was coming and it made a lot of the stuff that had happened before so clear the fact that he turned into you know that he was um he was the plant as it were uh and and i think michael sheen could do it brilliantly he's got a um a fantastic sort of um almost he can he can make his face almost immobile and i would absolutely believe in him in both both sides of ash if you like yeah i you know i'm with you on that i had the same shock when he was uh revealed to be an android you know i've seen uh prometheus and i know about the android bishop so i know androids are a thing in uh the alien universe but i was completely caught off guard and when he just started spinning wildly around the room with the milk just shooting everywhere, it was kind of like, you know, it was a moment of disconnect for me because I had no idea what was going on. And so when I sat down to recast this role, I thought, how do I make this for people seeing it the first time even more of a surprise when this person is revealed to be the uh, the android? And I thought, well, you don't have many female androids, so let's gender swap the role. You also don't have many androids of color, so let's, you know, race swap the role as well. And I went with Aisha Tyler. If you watch her performances on Criminal Mind, you can see that she's able to play a very stoic, a very reserved character, which is what you need to pull off this android, but with enough personality that it also kind of throws you off the trail. Uh, so I went with Aisha Tyler. All right. And now we've got a few more here. We're going to go to Lambert and Cass. Let's hear from you for Lambert. Who do you have? Um, I went with uh, Florence Pugh, who I don't know. Uh, she's kind of new. She was in Midsummer and uh, fighting with my family. And she's okay. in the new. Um, what that movie is it? It's coming out next year, but she, I went based on the character, not really changing the character too much, but like the crying and the kind of uselessness. <laughs> All right. And Samantha, how about you for Lambert? I gender swapped again because I, I, I was irritated by the fact that, that it was a, such a lazy uh, piece of uh, cast, not, 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 the, not the actress that played her, but the fact that it was such an obvious piece of casting that they, they, they had that, um, that character. So I've actually gone with Ben Wishaw. Um, and uh, Ben Wishaw, I don't know if you know him as a British actor, but um, he does vulnerability really well. And I, sus 
I hope, I hope he wouldn't bring that sort of soppiness to it <laughs> that um, that they kind of drag out of women. Uh, so um, I, I would hope that he, uh, yeah, I think he would give a kind of, a, a, I, I think that she's there as the sort of every man feel. I think she's meant to be how... Uh, you know, in our in our worst times, that's how we would react in that kind of fluffy, awful way. Um, so I, I would like to see a guy do that. And I think Ben Wishaw would be great at it. Cool. All right. A couple that we have just one person for. Uh, Cass, you have Kane, Brett and Jones. So why don't you go ahead and start with Kane? Uh, for Kane, I went with, uh, since it's the, the first person to die in a sci-fi movie, I went with Sean Bean. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty obvious. That that works. Uh how about for Brett? For Brett, I went with Toby Huss, who is a character actor. He's been in a ton of stuff, such as uh, Halt and Catch Fire. He was in Pete and Pete as Artie. If anybody remembers that. He was in the yes! new season. Of- so yeah. good. <laughs> but he's kind of the older grizzled, can play comedy and serious. Excellent. And how about for Jones the Cat? Uh, for Jones the Cat, I went with someone that's a really hot right now, who, if he was lost on the ship, I would definitely look for him, uh, Baby Yoda. <laughs> yeah, it definitely fits the motif. I could see him floating around the ship trying to get to where he needs to be. So, Just All hiding right. in corners. Mm-hmm. All right, great. So, And then finally, we have the recasting for the alien. We'll let Jason go first on this one, although I think you said both that you had the same answer. So, Jason, mm-hmm. go ahead and tell us who you would recast as the alien. So, if we're still going with the classic 80s practical effects and you got a guy in a suit, there's only one person for the job, and that's the wonderful Doug Jones. But if you're going to go CGI and try to scrimp on your budget a little bit, Andy Circus. So, either way, you got your two, you got your two creature guys. Like, both of them are fantastic. Doug Jones, who I've who I've met, is fantastic. Um, Andy Circus is great too. I just if you're going to get someone to do this type of role, it would have to be one of those two because they're just wonderful at what they do. So let me just ask you as a follow up question: the one thing that is strikingly different about those two actors is their height. Um, would we get a smaller, more compact alien? if we used uh, Andy Serkis? So this is going to, I'm such a nerd. Uh, so if you did Andy Serkis, <laughs> then it would have to be the runner alien. We've only seen that once. And that's in alien three. Uh, when it, when it, when the xenomorph latches onto a dog and it becomes the runner alien. But if we're going to go with the traditional xenomorph, it's gotta be Doug Jones. Cause he's six, four, like one of the cool things about the xenomorph. And we see that a lot in, future alien iterations is when they loom over someone and actually stand up at their full height, they are massive and intimidating. And he does that so, so well. Yeah. It was interesting. They, they seem to leave the alien cramped into little spaces a lot in this. I think that was an interesting choice for them. Uh, Cass, did you have anything to add to Jason's casting of Doug Jones? No, I think it's actually perfect. It's, immediately who i thought of i mean you can only go with him for a creature all right so now we're going to close out the podcast and we're going to recap thoughts on the movie and give it a rating and our rating scale basically is how much would you pay to see this movie in a theater today on a scale of zero i don't want to see this or ten dollars here's all my money for the ticket 
let's go. Uh, we're going to start off with Samantha. What are your closing thoughts on the movie and how much would you pay for a ticket to see this movie in a theater today? Well, I would probably, I, I yeah, I, I said from the start that it wasn't my favorite of movies, but actually I'm warming to it. Actually, the more I talk <laughs> about it, the more I'm warming to it. Uh, but still, I think I, I would give it, I, I would pay three, three, three dollars to see this movie. <laughs> All right. Three dollars. And Cass, how about you? What are your thoughts on the movie and how much would you pay to see the alien in a theater today? Um, I, it's still one of my favorites. I think it holds up really well. It's a movie that I think everybody should see at least once since there's so much uh, based on it later on and there's tons of sequels and it's so much in pop culture. Um, I would probably say I'd pay $8 to see it. Okay, $8. And Jason, what are your thoughts on the movie and how much would you pay to see this in a theater today? I wouldn't I wouldn't pay 10. Um there are problems with it and I think those come with the times that this was made in. But when it comes to also how it bucked the trend of the times it was made in, I would have to say I would definitely pay $9 for this. I would see it in theaters. It's not something I would wait for it to come home or hit Redbox or something like that. I would definitely see this in theaters. And in fact, I I think it would be wonderful to see on in a big HD remaster of this on the big screen. I think that'd be really cool to see. Mhm. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, for me, this movie was a delight to see for the first time. And it the the effects in this movie were so well done to the point where, like when the fossilized alien on the ship, they would only show it in pieces. They didn't want to show the whole thing. And they got a much more uh, powerful feeling from seeing just the different parts when if they had shown the whole thing, it would have given away how bad it might have been back in 1979. The Atari-level graphics on the computer, I got to knock it down just a little <laughs> bit for that. Uh, so it, it's not a perfect movie, but man, it was an enjoyable movie. And it's one I would watch again in a theater. I would pay $8.50, so I'm kind of cutting right between uh, Cass and Jason there. So Cass, adding up our... Ticket prices, averaging them out, what do we have as an average ticket price for Alien? Got $7.12. <laughs> $7.12. I think that's respectable. Uh, you know, for an older movie, it's hard to watch mm -hmm. for the first time sometimes. And, you know, it's you've got this uh, people who have enjoyed the movie for so long. So I think that's a respectable uh, average ticket price for Alien. All right, so that's going to do it for us today. Uh, Samantha, let's tell folks where they can find you on the internet. Well, they can at the moment they can just find me on my website, which is um, samanthaboffin.co.uk. Uh, but I am bringing out my own podcast actually later in 2020, early in 2020. Excellent. <laughs> we can look forward on the uh, the website there. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it'll all be detailed on the website, and there'll be a separate yeah feed for it. Yeah, great. All right. And Cass, why don't you tell folks where they can find you? Um, you can find me uh, mostly on Instagram at uh, Cassandra underscore Leah and also at the Good Idea Podcast on all the social medias. Excellent. And Jason, how about you? Where can folks find you? Um, they can find me over at nerdswithvoices.com. You can find me on Facebook at uh, Nerds with Voices. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Nerds with Voices. So it's just it's all there. Just, you know, 
All right. Good branding right across the board. All right. So folks, we ask uh, that you subscribe, rate, and review. Now you've seen it wherever you get your podcast. If you have feedback for us, you can email us at oraclepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash now you've seen it, no apostrophe. Check out this and other wonderful podcasts at oraclepodcast.com. Our theme music is performed by Eric Hunt. And we want to say thank you to our broadcasting partners at Age of Radio and Galactic Netcast. You can find more about them at ageofradio.org and gncast.com. Thank you both to Jason and Cass for sitting in with us today. And Samantha, thank you so much for joining us as a guest. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thank you. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on Now You've Seen It. Now You've Seen It is a production of Oracle Media Productions in association with Age of Radio and Galactic Netcasts. For more great podcasts, visit oraclepodcasts.com, ageofradio.org, and gncasts.com.